podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This fan base is amazing. The city of Cincinnati is amazing, and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Desmond fakes a handoff, runs to the right. He's got all sorts of room to the 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Bearcats! 25 for the middle of the field at the 35, and he is gone! Trey Tucker will take it 98 yards to the house. Ball poked away by DeJulius. Diving on the floor to grab it is Oguama. Bounces it for Lockett. Fires ahead to Adams Woods. DeJulius for three. Good! Cincinnati has scored 17 straight. The one-handed catch. Hands it off to Marcus Jones. He has tackled it to 34. It. And it is over. Zero losses, zero doubt. Opportunity seized as the Bearcats send a message to the college football world. Did you see that? Hello, listeners, new and old. Welcome back to your favorite Bearcats podcast, Viva La Cats. I am your host, Justin Hiles, accompanied by my great friend, Steve Maurer, and we are here to bring you the very best of the Bearcats every single week. Make sure to check us out on Twitter at VivaLaCatsPod and follow us on Spotify, Apple Pods, or wherever you listen. And also make sure to check out at UC Uniforms for all the up-to-date UniTracker info from Steve. This week is going to be loaded full of different topics because so much has happened recently. So fasten your seatbelts and enjoy the ride. This week, we have so many things to go over, but first and foremost, uh, the Bearcats ended their season, unfortunately in Arlington playing in the Cotton Bowl against Alabama, where the number one Alabama Crimson Tide uh, beat the Bearcats 27-6. to The Bearcats finished off the season 13-1 and after what was probably easily, not even probably, easily the best season in program history. So, Steve, um, initial thoughts. How did you feel about the game, um, and where do you feel like things stand now? Well, um, I didn't feel like it was an ass kicking, but uh, people keep telling me it was an ass kicking, and there are multiple different analytics that are showing me it's an ass kicking. So maybe it was, but in the game, it didn't feel like that, Justin. It really—it absolutely did not. Felt like we were, you know, just one drive away from really being making it a one-score game, and it never felt like it was incredibly out of reach until they scored that last touchdown in the fourth quarter. Right. I mean, just from that first drive, if you were a pessimistic UC fan, you saw how Alabama ran the ball, and you're just like, uh-oh, this is, this is going to be a rough day. Yep. The Bearcats. <laughs> I think it, I mean, like we saw Navy and Tulane run on us, rough shot, mm-hmm. and then, you know, <laughs> Alabama's a, a lot better than those two teams. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you combined all of the best talent, put out a full squad on the field, of Navy and Tulane. Um, I still think they probably get beat by Alabama by at least 40. So uh, (laughs) that goes without saying. But um, I felt very similarly to you. I don't really feel that um, Alabama was necessarily, I would say, in in control. Um, I think they were definitely, I guess, I guess they were in the driver's seat, but I wouldn't say that they had... um, 
the game unlock at any point until, like you said, that final touchdown, um, which really kind of was the nail in the coffin. But it definitely felt like the Bearcats were in it for a lot of the game, um, especially, you know, what we went into half. And I believe that game was at um, 10 to or sorry, 17 to three, which is a wide margin. Don't get that. Don't get me wrong on that. But um, it still felt like we had a good shot in the second half, especially knowing how the team has performed in the second half throughout the season. Um, and then we came out and we actually scored that field goal, um, albeit we obviously all wanted a touchdown there, um, but points were on the board. And even at 17-6, it felt like the Bearcats were still in the game. Um, but again, it wasn't until that fourth quarter where things really started to kind of tail off. Um, but yeah, I like I said, I don't think Alabama um, had full control the whole game. I think a lot of people are going to say that they did. Um, and I don't necessarily think that was the case. They definitely won, and I think they won convincingly. Um, but to the same respect, I think that the Bearcats definitely uh, um, put them on notice and uh, made them have to figure out where some of their issues are, especially when it comes um, to uh, offense. In our corners, I think we were able to shut them down pretty well um, as far as the passing game goes. But again, we knew what our issues were going into this game and the run defense uh, was not great all season. And that proved to be sort of the, uh, the, the thing that cost us and ultimately. Well, so that... yeah, Go ahead. Like, I, I agree. And uh, I think just not scoring on that opening drive hurt. Like, you know, we scored a yep. uh, field goal, but a ball kind of goes through Pierce's hands in the end zone. That hurts a little bit. Um, didn't didn't pick up the uh the muffed punt that hurts uh you didn't do yeah. anything with the interception which like i think bryce had thrown less than five interceptions all year this year and that was kind yeah. of a miscommunication that was a weird route so i was kind of hoping we would do something with that but I, I guess if you really wanted to say that alabama dominated the game they dominated the game with their defense and our offense they shut us down so many times yeah. in a row it was just so frustrating to watch especially for a Bearcats team who's had a pretty good offense this year, despite what fans who have watched every game think about the offense. So I yeah. don't know. It's just like, it's a little bit upsetting, but I think, well, it, one, th one thing I would say too, is I think what we got to play a lot this season um, throughout most of our games uh, was there was a couple of high caliber offenses, but there wasn't like a stout defensive team this whole season. Nobody that's on level or on par with us. Um, and then, like you said, I think that Alabama defense probably caught us off guard a bit um, because we have not had uh, that kind of trouble this whole season. I think except for maybe Navy, which was really sort of, um, you know, we still scored plenty. I think that was probably one of our rougher uh, days as far as offense goes. But I don't know. Looking at the whole looking at the whole season. I don't think there's anybody that came even remotely close defensively to what Alabama was able to uh, put out on the field. And unfortunately it cost us. Um, we'll say too, Des um, did not have his best game, uh, which goes a lot more to the credit of Alabama's defense. I think um, went 17 for 32, 144 yards. Again, no touchdowns in this game. Unfortunate. Um, and Jerome Ford had 15 carries with 77 yards. Um, and our leading receiver was actually uh, Michael Young, which is kind of surprising, um, especially because you'd expect, you know, Pierce to be snagging those in that kind of big game. But I think um, he had a couple good balls. Um, so 
I don't know. Overall, I was still, I'm still satisfied with, you know, the fact that we made the playoff. You know, obviously, I think we all would want a different and much better result or a closer game than we had. Um, but at the end One, of the day, the other thing ahead. too, uh, real quick before you finish your point, like we didn't get blown out forty-two to nothing. Like defense hung in with Alabama, That's true. and like obviously run defense wasn't there but like the amount of times we got them off the field like was awesome you know and it was yep. just made you feel alive so real quick <laughs> well before we move on to the season recap what was the highest point of the game for you because i have one um even though we were down big i would still say the interception for brian cook i felt like when that happened i was like this game where this, this is the momentum shift. I, I remember saying that out loud. I was like, this is when it happens. <laughs> of course it didn't. Um, but like, I think for me, even so that was a huge point in that game where Alabama's tail was kind of between their legs a bit. Um, and we got the ball and we had that, you know, push down the field, but I don't know. I mean, it's hard to pick a necessarily a good standout highlight when we didn't score a touchdown. <laughs> That's fair. Well, I have a different one than you, actually, so I'm happy to share it. So we watched the game with uh, me, my girlfriend, my cousin, and her fiancé, and the uh, the new puppy. So all five oh, yeah. of us were having a good time. I almost had to stay outside the entire game because uh, we drove so well during our first offensive possession that <laughs> they were like, you might need to just keep walking the dog for the rest of the game and get, bring <laughs> us good luck. So, um, But... So I think the best part was when Alabama missed that field goal and the Bearcats got pretty good field position. I was like, okay, like this, if there was ever an opportunity, this is the opportunity. Like, like you got the confused saving face on the replay. Yeah. Like it feels like that was like, because I was in the first half still, that that felt like a kind of a momentum shift a little bit because if they had scored, if they had hit a field goal, there would have been 13, three. And then obviously if they score that touchdown, it's 20 to three at half. And, like when you when you hit twenty to three, that feels a lot different than seventeen to three. So yes, that, it does. A field goal felt huge at the time, but oh well. Justin, what would you like to say about the end of this momentous, like best Bearcats football season of our lifetimes? Um, if I could sum it up really quickly, I would just say gratifying. Um, I think as a not just a Bearcats fan, but a fan of any and all Cincinnati sports. Um, you go through the motions and you go through the waves. Um, and it just seems like every single year, whether it be the Bengals or the Reds or sometimes even the Bearcats or sometimes even, um, you know, like FC Cincinnati or all these other teams, like you you feel excited and it's sort of the triangle of coming back. Everybody knows that meme where, you know, I'm, I have no hope. I get excited. I'm on edge and then I have no hope again. And it's just back and forth through that. And for once, like this team got through that last step. Um, and again, I think the extra, you know, cherry on top, of course, would have been winning that game. But regardless, it was getting to that game. Um, that proved that something was very clearly evidently different about this Bearcats team um, and a team from Cincinnati too. 
And I think that for me, as like I said, a Bear, uh, Cincinnati fan in general, but more specifically as a Bearcats fan, it just felt so, so gratifying to be able to watch the Bearcats play in a game like that and have to play the number one team in the country and have to go out and, you know, try to prove themselves against the toughest competition, which for, you know, so long for any G5 team, for any other school like us, we don't get the shot. We don't get the, we don't even get the chance to prove ourselves. Um, you know, again, I, we're, we're going to keep coming back to this because, you know, of course we wish that we would have, and that's regardless. We know that we wish that we could have done that, but regardless, we had the, we had the opportunity. And I think that is a huge difference in the college football landscape and will change that landscape forever. But I think also this team is able to be set aside, um, away from the rest of the Bearcats history and really be looked at and examined as what will probably, hopefully not, but will go down as the change in the program. It will go down as one of the best teams in program history. Um, and we got to watch that and we got to recap that all season. Um, and I just, I'm, I'm grateful that we had a team that was able to do that because there's so many other teams that fall short. And like I said, we had the chance and we made the most of it this whole season. 13, I mean, 13 and one, what more can you ask for really? For a team that was just expected to get there and like no one really expected them to win the national title. They just kind of expected, well, expected maybe not is the best word, but there was a thought that the Bearcats could definitely get there, you know, and if yeah. everything broke right, if all the pieces fell, then the Bearcats could get to the playoff. And just the fact that they accomplished it and it wasn't just preseason fodder, it was a real thing that actually happened. So cool, man. So I I went to the Indiana game. Uh, that was a really fun atmosphere. Uh, Indiana was good then and uh, not bad like they were at the end of the season. <laughs> so stadium was full. That was a great time. I got a little bit crazy um, uh, around the Indiana fans. I got a little riled up before the game uh, from some of their students, but uh, that was good to get a win. Uh, Bearcat Nation showed up for that game. But Justin, just watching that Notre Dame game on TV, uh, that felt like the moment that I knew it was real, you know, because like that, that moment during the game when we were up 17, nothing, uh, Trey Tucker beat Kyle Hamilton on kind of an underthrown ball and he's scoring in the end zone. And you see all that red up in the, like that, that end of the stadium. Yeah. I was like, Oh, this is real. Like we're really here where it's happening. And like that game, I think, like, if there was a best game of the season, I would pick that game for sure. I mean, obviously, the championship game was great. Uh, just to be in the Cotton Bowl and have, like, almost half of the crowd be Bearcats fans was awesome. Um, and then just to have, like, you know, like, the, the winning that Tulsa game, uh, having game day that day, like, winning that Indiana game, there was, like, a lot of highs this year. And obviously, it ended on a low, but... In Cincinnati, we can't really say that we're used to playoff wins and championships and uh, our team's doing extremely well in postseason play. So we kind of have to savor these regular season moments as they come right now. And maybe that'll change in the future. But, man, it was just fun. It was just fun. I had a great time watching this team. They were just a great, very enjoyable. I felt like I knew a lot of the players you know, that were playing, I felt like I was really invested. Like, yeah. You know, for those who don't know, I also run a Reds account and I, I've 
probably watched every game for the last two years, if not watching, at least like following along. Mm-hmm. I watched every game this year. And, like, <laughs> you know, that's different for football. It's only this this season was only 14 games for the Bearcats, you know, baseball, basketball, hockey, all more games and such. But I feel like I was like, there's a connection. You know, we had that for 14 games this year. We had the entire city was like, oh, yeah, this is it. Like, they're going to be doing something here. And then the Bengals had a resurgence this year, which it brought even more football fans around. But yep. just to say, and like, you know, we're going to have a, like a, a probably like some kind of recognition for it in the stadium, just to have uh, something saying that the Bearcats were the first ever team to make the college football playoff, tear down all the walls, and yep. like kind of break this corporate structure that uh, Kirk Herbstreet hates, <laughs> even though he works <laughs> for the corporate structure. Uh, it was just... It felt affirming, you know, like if yep. we had gone and done everything that was asked and if we got left out like 2017 UCF did, like, I don't even know if you could come back from that as a fan, but like this, this almost feels better to have gone there and been given the chance to lose, you yep. know, like, you know, given the chance to play, we got the chance, we got the opportunity. I think that's what everybody's been asking for baseline, like just Give us the opportunity to play. And yep. Austin, this year, Alabama and Georgia are just otherworldly. Like, yeah. I don't think anyone was ever going to beat beat them other than, like, Texas A&M and, well, Alabama beating Georgia. But, yep. like, those two teams are just so stacked and loaded. And, like, it's honestly kind of boring, but not surprising either that it's those two teams because – you look at the recruiting rankings, you look at the transfer portal, those two teams are just amassing all of the talent. Yep. All of it. And uh, I didn't like that people were saying, see, this is why Cincinnati would lose like five games in the SEC. So <laughs> there's only those two teams in the SEC. Like, I get it. Ole Miss was good this year. Like, uh, yeah. I don't know. Like, Kentucky has been a tough team to play recently. There's definitely good teams in that league, but... It's not like those teams are going thirteen and zero in the SEC. They got they still have to play yeah. Georgia or Alabama, like whatever side of the conference you're on. And it's unless until those two things change, it's always going to be like those two teams for right now, you know. And then Ohio State, uh, Clemson, Notre Dame, like there's always these powers and stuff. But to say that the Bearcats were part of that club, part of that elite fraternity that made it to the final stage of the college football season. It's just something that I think we should cherish forever. And we we get a lot of flack from Xavier fans because we talk about all of our achievements that we had before we were even born, you know, almost 25, almost 30 years ago. This is something that you can't take away, something that happened in our lifetimes, something that we watched, something that we witnessed. And it's just, I think, Justin, you, uh, I've been... On a long rant, I'm going to shut up here, but you, you brought up the one word idea earlier. I think affirmation is that great one word that sums it all up. It was affirming to see us go that far, get rewarded, get the chance to play. And even though we lost, we played against like the dynasty of all dynasties in college football. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree too with that kind of that last point, especially because... That's one thing um, I actually had tweeted out for anyone who hadn't seen it um, about the just sort of the post game feeling um, was that the Bearcats definitely 
we have to help keep our heads high on this because you know sure we didn't we didn't get to do as much as we wanted to in this game but we got there and we we broke that glass ceiling um and the the specific words i used were um that the bearcats went 13-0 before playing the number one team in the nation mind you this is nick saban and alabama just those two words or names in general um already start a completely different conversation than what you know 95% of college football can even attempt to talk about. Um, but playing the number one team in the nation on a stage that we've never played at against a coach who has seven national championships and who's made the college football playoff in its current structure, which started in 2014, 15, uh, seven of the eight years. So out of the eight years that we have switched from BCS to, um, to the CFP, he's only missed it one year. And and to me, that's just like to play a team of that caliber where you've got five star guys in your third strings, in your like in in just the end of your depth chart. And so say somebody comes off who's like, oh, you know, he's hurt for two or three plays. Well, shit, you get to put in a five star recruit right after him. And it's like the Bearcats. I don't even know. Do we even have a five star recruit on our team? I don't think we do. Was that a no? Sorry. Uh, yeah, we do, we do not have a five star on okay. our team, but <laughs> um, hey, it's coming. It's coming. Right? I'm, yes, it is. It will, and I I firmly believe that too. And, and you know, but again, that goes to my point. Is like, you know, there's rankings and all that don't really matter when it comes to the level of talent. But I think it also shows sort of that um, level of expectation. Um, and there's a system that Alabama has, and that is just a rolling monster year after year after year. And there's a reason why they've been in seven out of the eight years. Um, and this year I think is no different. And of those years, I think they've gone to the semifinal at least, or gone to the championship game, what, like four times, five times, and they've won three of them. So like, that in itself just says like the team that you're playing against is literally unmatched by anything that has ever been seen in history. And to go out there and hold them to 27 points, I think is a job well done. And I, I, we have a lot of room to grow and we have um, places that, you know, we want to get to that are a lot higher than what we have now. Um, But for where we're at right now and where this program is and where um, expectations were, two, three years ago, where expectations were when Luke Fickle was signed, where expectations were when we had Tommy Tuberville, like where this team has shifted since then is just astronomically different than what we were ever expecting. And we can't do anything but just be grateful for it. Because if you're not, you're not appreciating what you just witnessed this entire season. Like this is something that will go down in Bearcats history is probably one of the, like I, I mean, I hope that we just keep climbing. Um, and I think that, you know, we're going to have great seasons. We're going to have poor seasons too. It's just the way things go. But to look at a team at 13 and 0 going into the college football playoff, like that is, that is a benchmark that will be so, so difficult to hit ever again. And to just sit there and be sad about not making it to the national championship game you're wasting your time. You should be enjoying what this was and what we had. Um, and of course, now that the season's over, um, we get a 
different uh, sort of look on how, you know, everything went. But really, for me, I think this season was a absolute outstanding success. We beat everybody on the board. There was weeks where we may have we may have doubted them a bit. We have we may have thought, well, God, why? How how are we going to get there? How are we going to do this? How are like? Can we fix these problems? Can can we do the things that we have to to get there to that level? And every single time, they did it. Every single time. And so to me, that is super cool. Um, and for me, like this will be by far. I mean, I hope when we're like in our fifties and sixties, we're talking about this to kids, and we're just saying like. You'll never, you, you know, you never knew what it was like. And hopefully that's, again, a conversation where it's like, these are the years of our, like, of our life as fans that, like, we look back on. It's like, that was the point where everything changed. That was the, that was a major, major step up. Um, so, again, you can't, you can't grow as a program and you can't really um, change over time and become this giant without taking a few stumbles first and you, you have to be able to um, lose in some of these big games in order to know um, what it's like to lose. So that way you can go back in and you can win them. And I think that firm, I firmly believe that the Bearcats will be back in Um, now to the same question. And this is actually where I'm going to pivot this to another point um, specifically is sort of the who belongs debate, because this has come up so much and I don't want to like spin this negatively because there is so many positives about everything that's happened. Um, this season, but there is definitely a light on not just the G5, but college football in general that says teams have to be qualified in order to make it into the college football playoff. It's not like a you win out and you're good. Like you have to have some extra level of qualification every time. And it, it's it's an opinion all the time. But regardless, everything that's happened after this game, people have said Cincinnati does not belong. This team is so much better than everyone who watched that game gave them credit for. And of course, you know, it's the playoff. And so people are like, well, this game was a blowout. 27 to 6. Like, I get that we didn't score a touchdown. And, you know, somebody else who put me on blasters, I don't, I don't care. I don't give a shit. But 27 to 6 is not a blowout when you're playing a team like Alabama. We we held their team to like the second lowest score of the entire season, and one probably the one of the lowest scores that they've ever been held to in a um, semifinal or championship game in the college football playoff. Like, sure, our offense was not hitting on all cylinders, but our defense was. And I think that these kind of things like show like just because we didn't win, like we're we're the same as everybody else too. There's other teams where like. I remember what Alabama, I think, played Michigan State in like 2015 or 16 or something like that and won like 38 to nothing. Like they actually shut them out and blew them out. Like, and there's so many teams in this first round or sometimes even national championship that just get blown off the table. And it's like, we are not one of those teams, A and B. We absolutely belong because we hit all of the qualifications. They said, you have to do this. We added that. You have to do this. We did that. And every single time we did it, and there's a reason that we made it. Um, I do think that this is going to make it. uh, Because of the circumstance of the game and the conversation around it over the past few years um, of the semifinal games, um, it's going to be a lot more difficult for the Bearcats to get in until playoff expansion. We could could next year go 13-0 again, just like we did this year. 
and we're out. I can pretty much call that in the air now. If we were to do that, we are out. Um, and that's just because of it's the Notre Dame, the Oklahoma, like these kind of teams sort of abuse that quote unquote privilege of making it to the CFP. Um, and I think until we hit the Big 12 and get that schedule going, I think that it's going to be very difficult for us to be in. But regardless, we belong. Cincinnati belongs in the college football playoff, especially this year. We were we were supposed to be there. And there's no other team that I saw that proved that they were any amount different or better other than Georgia, Michigan, and Alabama. Well, I love it, Justin. I think that wraps it up perfectly. I think we've <laughs> spoken enough uh, on the season. Uh, so thank you to the coaches, fans, players, media, everyone who was a part of this. We really appreciate you. And like, just although you can be sad about this, fans, just soak this in for a little bit, man. Like, this is just this. This might not ever happen again. So just soak it in, enjoy it. Like, it was an amazing year. So, Justin, from that amazing year. I'm sure we have some more amazingness on the other side. What would you like to talk about next? Um, changes. Uh, I would like to talk about Mike Denbrock. Uh, this is <laughs> this is the conversation that we have have been having for years on end. This year, um, sort of, I think, leads to the culmination of that. Um, but like I said, this is a conversation that we've been having pretty much since this podcast started, like in 2018, 2017, this has been a long, um, I wouldn't say awaited, but longly or long discussed topic. Um, so Denbrock left Cincinnati to go to LSU to join Brian Kelly, um, his former, um, head coach, uh, with Notre Dame. Um, and I got to say, I think it's on everybody's mind. I think everybody would agree. Um, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Like, <laughs> I think there's definitely, I think that maybe that's even a bit aggressive because Denbrock definitely ha- did have his moments of um, greatness, but I think Denbrock did the job. I don't think Denbrock excelled as an offensive coordinator. Um, and I think from what we've seen from the Bearcats over the years, um, we know that there's a ceiling that's higher that we can reach. Um, and Denbrock's just not the guy that would get that done. You're not that guy, pal. <laughs> no, uh, sir, please, uh, thank you for all you've done. Um, please find the next flight out of the city of Cincinnati, and uh, we'll just have you back for the reunion in 10 years. How's that sound? Yeah. <laughs> just and like Brian I, Kelly. Yeah, like, okay, I get it. Like, look, he was good. He definitely raised the game of the offense. He developed, he recruited, he coached mm-hmm. well. It was just some of the play calls. Like, Justin, yeah. I think we, like, in this game, in this Cotton Bowl game, just real quick, you need to get Des running a little bit more, maybe some bootlegs, maybe some options. Like, after the second time a ball gets batted down at the line, you got to get him, like, play action, RPO, get him out on the run, leg and stuff, and, like, I feel like the game adjustments weren't really there on offense. Like, mm-hmm. and here's the thing, Justin. I don't really need to make in-game adjustments when we're playing against like Tulsa, Tulane, because or you know any of the other schools in our conference other than Houston or UCF, because eventually our talent will win out. And I I still think we're gonna have the best talent 
in the conference next year. We're going to have like, we've had the best recruiting classes and just picked up some, uh, a couple of guys out of the transfer portal and maybe picking up more. Yeah. But it just like, even the fact that the offense was 11th in scoring this year was still crazy to me because I, I just, I feel like it was constipated at times. And like, this Mm -hmm. is, this is just like something where I was confused by how much like, running we did, even though we had Jerome Ford. Like it feels like we didn't we just used him. We didn't like really go to any of our other backs in the last like four games of the season, maybe other than that USF game, uh, because he was out. And it, I don't know. It just it felt like some of the same issues that were always there were there. Like maybe it's just a Des thing, but it feels like. I feel like Des was never never able to be completely accurate on that long ball, which might have hurt us a little bit. But the just calling run plays up the middle on like first down, it just seems so predictable and so conservative. And how many times do we play games where we played to not lose and we played to win? Like we 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 held on the leads and we kind of sat on them. And I think that was the reason kind of why we lost that Georgia game last year. Like if we had run the ball on that like fourth down play that runs off like on that third down play that runs off like a lot more time than passing the ball. And I get why we passed it. We thought we had a mat- matchup, but like, I, okay, now that is probably playing to not playing to not lose. That's not playing to win. And I'm contradicting myself, but, but it seems like if there was one thing holding us back, it was kind of like the offensive play calling and, it's crazy to me to think that we were 11th in scoring this year because I still don't think our offense was that good. It probably was propped up by games against like Temple and like Miami and Murray State, like those games where we just did like kind of just turned on the afterburners. But I think in a new league, we're going to have to scheme up some offensive plays. We can't just win on talent because we're going to be more even on talent than everybody else yep. in the Big 12 and a- a- than the, in the AAC. So, like I said, I said all that just to say once again, thank you for your service. Please exit. Uh, the, <laughs> exit, exit stage left. <laughs> the emergency doors are uh, two rows in front of you and ten rows behind you, sir. So, <laughs> I, and I, I don't know. I'm very happy for him. He was always a nice guy uh, from the time I got to talk to him. And like the fact that like this news kind of leaked to people who are paying attention a couple weeks before the, uh, before the cotton bowl was kind of shitty. Yeah. Uh, and the fake Mike Denbrock account tweeted when it was official on uh, January 1st, that uh, this is the way I leave just pissing everybody off on my way out. Yeah. <laughs> Which just like, I'm going to be sad that fake Mike Denbrock is going to be gone, but um, just real quick, Justin, if it, is, if the replacement is Gino Gadulli, uh I would be happy with that. And, I would yep. love to see Prater work in that offense and just, I feel like he's more of a running talent right now and we haven't really gotten to see him throw the ball as much. And he's so skinny too, which is like, I want him to be able to throw the ball more. So it just doesn't get killed in the open field when he tries to run and make a play. <laughs> Evan Prater so, add like 30 pounds of just straight muscle uh, from Steve. <laughs> Evan Prater go to skyline uh, once. Go so with we, the O-line guys. <laughs> yeah. Eat what they eat challenge. Uh, I don't know. I, I just feel like Dez and this offense deserve more in that Cotton Bowl game than just to score six points on field goals. Like maybe yeah. Alabama was just that much better than us, but 
seems like there should have been something done to change it up. I definitely agree. And I think everybody saw that too. Like I remember specifically um, watching the whole thing. as like, like you said, uh, the passes getting batted down. I'm pretty sure there was like at least one, if not two, three and outs where Des got the ball swatted twice in that like drive, which I was just like, how does this keep happening? And which obviously goes to the credit of Alabama. Um, but I think too, like our O-line collapsed a lot in that game as well. Um, and protecting and giving time in the pocket uh, just seemed almost non-existent. But that's a conversation all its own, which you know we don't need to talk about. But um, again, I watching that game. Like I remember coming out of the half, I was like, I want to see Des be able to run the ball. There was a few design plays for Des. Um, I think there was even like a QB draw in there too. And, but aside from like three or four of them, after that first drive back to the same old what we were doing in the first half and i just like you know it, something needs to change up and i think that denbrock just sort of has a maybe he was stubborn or whatever it was i don't know but i agree i think that gino would be a great replacement um and i i would like to see him in that role personally um but i also wouldn't be offended if not because i think he's done a great job with developing des um developing the qbs um and that's actually a good point to transition um, speaking of QBs, specifically from the Bearcats, um, one thing that I noticed recently was that Ben Bryant entered the transfer portal. Um, he played at Eastern Michigan uh, this past season. Um, he had his stats weren't necessarily um, weren't as far as touchdowns and interceptions go. Not necessarily great, but his yardage was nuts. Um, 14 touchdowns to go along with seven interceptions, but totaled over 3,100 yards on the season, which is pretty crazy considering, um, you know, where, where we, where we have sat our QBs, um, throughout the years, like where, where our QBs have sort of been positioned. Brian was definitely a guy that we knew when he was playing in like the Memphis games. Um, we are like, he's got an arm and we know that he could throw. Um, but we also knew that he wasn't very mobile. And I think that's kind of the same thing that we've still seen from Eastern Michigan, but now he's had the starting role and he's had the chance. And that guy can throw. He can definitely throw, and he's a lot different of a look than we are typically used to. Um, but I think it's really interesting because a tweet that I can't find now, um, I've mentioned this before to see before we started, but a tweet that I can't find now um, specifically mentioned uh, maybe from Ben Bryant about his status in the transfer portal was that he would not be accepting offers, but rather would be um, sort of, um, I guess, reaching out to schools or whatever that might be, which sets up an interesting conversation because now Desmond Ritter obviously is no longer going to be um, playing for the Bearcats. And that role is open. Granted, we would think we'd hand those keys to Prater because that would just make sense. Um, He's been the guy and he will be guy, you know, will be the guy I'm sure but regardless, the conversation becomes interesting um, because I think Bryant is in a position where he could possibly make a return to the team. I don't, I can't think of a time where I've ever seen that before, where QB would come back. But regardless, if he's there, it provides competition for the starting role. A and B, um, he'd be seasoned, and he's got a whole, um, you know, he's got a whole season under him of time against teams and you know just games to play, um, which makes Ben Bryant a very much a much more interesting prospect than he was when we first had him. Um, but now that Denbrock is gone and Gino's sort of this, you know, he's a QB's coach and he's a QB guy. 
Um, I would think that they've maintained a relationship. So that's sort of where I've thought this conversation might be interesting is, is there a possibility that we could see Ben Bryant back in Cincinnati? I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I don't really see it being that likely. Um, uh, interesting thing I was just looking up while you were talking. Um, apparently he is not a grad transfer. So he, I'm, I'm now like NCAA is just probably handing out waivers left and right. Uh, but right. since he already transferred once, technically he would have to sit out a year. Um, and he has two years of eligibility left. But okay. uh, just kind of weird for him to only go for one year and then transfer out. So... Uh, well, and to the same degree, he could just stay too, because that is updated with the rules as well. That he could just enter the transport transfer portal, see what's out there, and then end up staying. Yeah, but, uh, yes. to me, I, I don't really see it, just because like we just picked up a QB in the 2022 class and Luther Richardson, um, and mm-hmm. I think there's, I would have to check the depth chart, but I know there's a couple other QBs. Like I think Brady Lichtenberg is still on the roster. I don't think he yep. transferred at all. Um, I just, for for Ben's sake, I just wouldn't see it just because, like, I feel like he wants to start and, like, get a chance yep. to play right away. And, right. Like, and also from, like, a transfer portal state, like, I don't think you want to bring in a guy who's started some games over, like, his time at UC, uh, over his time in college, if you have, like, a hot young guy that you promised, like, the role to. And, right. While I agree that it would be a good backup to have, and I like he obviously knows the offense and his relationship with Gino, I feel like it's just since he left already, I I feel like you just got to let that one lie. Like, yep, it would be nice to have, but I feel like you you don't really do yourself any good by bringing in a transfer portal guy that has actually played and like done some stuff rather than just a, a young green transfer portal prospect who hasn't done anything yet. So I was just looking at. Uh, I looked up his name with news because I was trying to find that tweet you mentioned. Oh, yeah. And uh, it looks like Ben Bryan has been mentioned in like the uh, Indiana has a QB opening. Uh, so they might be yep. looking to add him. Uh, Missouri apparently has a QB opening. They might be looking to add him. He's going to get some power five interest and maybe he'll ba- end up back in the AAC or at another Mac school. But Dustin, my usual like center of recruiting or on transfer portal guys that come here. And this is nothing about them. They are all like really good kids, and I hope they you know, figure out something that works better for them. But it was like no one ever transfers up from UC, if that makes sense. They always end up transferring down. Like our guy, Jason, Jason Jackson, uh, transferred to another Mac school. Uh, he was at Ball State this year, and uh, I think he did pretty well. Uh, Bearcats only had two guys enter the transfer portal this year, and I'm sure they'll end up probably at lower level schools. Um, and we've just had like a good run of luck where I feel like anybody who comes here is either like good or underrated uh, from mm-hmm. the other power five schools and comes here and succeeds or like they go down and just play at their level, which I'm fine with. Like it would hurt me to, uh, to see our guys go elsewhere. Like they have in basketball. <laughs> yeah. So, well, and I think like, Kind of to your point too. I I can't really think of an any kind of standout where like a somebody transferred to a school of like, um, I guess a higher. Uh, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for, but a bigger school per se uh, when it comes to football. But the only one that I can think of that would probably be like the most lateral move and which is really just payoff based on performance now would be Tavion Thomas going to Utah. 
Um, that's the best yeah. thing that I can think of. Like, because, you know, he had what, 20 touchdowns this season. Like he had a pretty crazy season himself um, on a team that looked re- uh, pretty good. Um, and obviously beat Oregon and nearly took it away from Ohio state in the Rose bowl. So I don't know. I I'm with you on that though. I, and I agree. I don't think that personally, I don't think that Ben should come back. I think that he could start at another team and another power five team. Um, like you said with Indiana, I think that would be a very interesting prospect because they clearly could use it at like two and whatever the hell the record was. Um, but you know, I, I, regardless, I thought it was interesting just because of that specific mention of him, um, looking at schools versus other schools coming to him. So, um, that really kind of ends what I had on that point. The only other thing I want to ask while we're still on QBs, um, what are your thoughts? I I very much so doubt the possibility, but if there was another QB to transfer in right now, Caleb Williams is in the transfer portal. And I mean, I'm just saying it. I'm just saying it. Just put it out there. To drop the bag for Caleb Williams to come here. And I'm not trying to drop the, I'm not trying to drop the bag. Cause this is the thing. Like, again, like, you know, people would probably be seeing this. And I'm like, you know, I like Des and then I don't like Evan Prater. I love Evan Prater. Like he's a, he's a great fit. And I think he will, he is the guy. It's just when you, when you're looking at, you know, like that one last season before you go in and you're looking at the talent that's out there too, you can't like, I mean, you know, the conversation in Fickle's head and around the team, you know, that might be different, but like as fans, we can fantasize <laughs> and we can sort of like measure these things. I don't things know. It seems own. a little suspect, Justin. You, you seem to be <laughs> a Prater hater. I am not a Prater hater. Don't put me on Prater record hater, as a Prater, Prater hater. hater. No, no, no. Um, but I, I definitely I get it. I definitely would be interested to see if there's a possibility um, just because, you know, Caleb Williams is transferring away from Oklahoma. So you would think, especially when we look at guys like Jalen Hurts, um, you know, in the past who have gone, it's basically a lateral move. Um, these guys right now, if you're looking at the college football landscape and looking at where Cincinnati sits in the, in, you know, sort of the realm of things, a QB who's, you know, senior just left is graduating and now it's open and based on how everything's gone, it's not that far off of a lateral move. And I don't see it as an impossible thing. But again, I, I mean, in the age of NIL, you're dropping serious cash. I saw it, yeah. I, something that got me thinking about that today was uh, Reddit CFB put out a tweet uh, about <laughs> Caleb Williams, specifically Cincinnati, which I just laugh my ass off. Um, they said, hearing Cincinnati has formally offered Caleb Williams 1455-gallon drums of Skyline Chili. Uh, <laughs> and that, I laugh, that was to start my morning. But that I got me thinking because like, I think that it wouldn't be impossible um, for bigger recruits and more sort of the conversation of the transfer portal. We could start bringing in, you know, bigger guys that like start, you know, we could bring in four and five star guys out of the transfer portal. I don't think we have to, you know, I mean, we've obviously already done that with Ford. I mean, Ford was at least, he was a four star, right? Yeah. Four star guy. Um, I, and I yeah. agree. Like I, the weirdest thing was uh, when, Spencer Rattler entered the transfer portal earlier this year. I remember like PFF college football uh, tweeted out a graphic of like him uh, with like five teams he might go to. He ended up at South Carolina, but one of the teams that was on the list was Cincinnati. And I was like, what? Like, I don't want yeah. this guy. He sucks. Um, now, maybe that was just me uh, reading into the tea leaves too much at Oklahoma, but 
I, I don't know. It's, a, it's very interesting to me to think that, like, we could be a top destination. Like, we already saw it with on defense, like, our guy Ivan Pace, uh, brother of Deshaun Pace, your your guy, I guess I should say, uh, <laughs> committed uh, committed to the Bearcats yesterday, uh, Monday as you, as you listen to this. And then last year, like, Bearcats got a commit from uh, – transfer commit from Jawan Briggs, who went to Virginia for a year and then uh, came back home uh, he's originally a grad of Wana Hills, and now he's back home in Cincinnati, and he was a big part of that defensive front this year. So I feel like there's enough players in the state of Ohio. And I was looking at some guy who entered the transfer portal from Ohio State. He's like a four-star defensive tackle from Fairfield. I was just licking my lips. I was like, baby, come on home. <laughs> Jersey mock-ups, we'll put it together. We'll get you in red and black. So. <laughs> well, and I think that it's definitely like Cincinnati is – hopefully going to become a destination school. I don't think we're quite there yet. Um, but I think the transfer portal is obviously open to anyone and everyone. Um, and you can go anywhere with it. And I think that, you know, for some of these guys who, you know, may, maybe not aren't getting their shot um, on a team like Alabama or a team like, you know, even Ohio state or, um, you know, some of these other, you know, power teams that we're used to seeing in the college football playoff, I think they might look at Cincinnati and say, well, you know, I think my talent is good enough to start there. And I think that I have a good shot. So why not? I mean, hell, we've got a open spot too, even a running back now too. Yeah. And then Justin, you know, uh, UC just announced on Tuesday that they are moving to remote learning for the first two weeks. So uh, just get your transcript in by Sunday night and, uh, any recruit that's listening that's in the transfer portal, we can get you in by Monday, and you don't even have to move here for another two weeks. Spring ball doesn't even start till like mid-February, so we'll get you in there. We'll get you started. You know, come on out. <laughs> I'll help you move. I'll drive out and help you move. I, we you will provide be. the skyline. We will that's provide right. the fifty-five gallon drums. Listen, we start a moving service, and it's just for NIL purposes. Like we just move like recruits across the country. You know. Okay, it's funny because it's a joke, but at the same time, there's an idea there. I don't want to do it personally. No, but no, like, that's horrible. a. But that, like, think about that though too, because there's so many guys who move, and they they don't all do it at the same time. They move throughout the season. They do it. Like you've got an idea there. It's well, somewhere. And, and do back in the pre pre nil days when uh, people didn't get like trucks and cars, you know, they just had to like rent a van or like use their dad's truck or their friend's truck you know probably to move everything or just put everything in suitcases and fly to wherever you're going like, hey we we start nil moving company and we just <laughs> we just sponsor all the players that move and then like all the college kids that need to move and want to use yeah. the same service that kayla williams moved used yeah. to move from oklahoma to usc <laughs> we 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 hook it up so spencer rattler which is more specifically you're speaking, but actually that reminds me, which just makes this whole point even more oh, interesting, is that Spencer Rattler... You're thinking of the other USC, South Carolina. That's where Spencer Rattler is going. I think Caleb Williams is going to go to Southern Cal and yeah. play for his old well, coach. I think there's a strong possibility there, but I think something that's even more interesting about that, which is just funny, is that Spencer Rattler transferred because Caleb Williams had that starting role at that point. And he's like, screw this. I'm out. And then Caleb Williams is like, well, nothing left for me here in Oklahoma. <laughs> Just he's on his way out now too. And remember at the beginning of the season, Spencer Rattler was in Heisman conversations. 
that guy fell off the freaking grid, dude. Yeah, I don't know. We're not going to talk about these other schools too much because this is uh, Bearcats podcast first and foremost. But regardless, those things are still interesting. And Brian um, to Oklahoma, make it happen. Hey, man, you never know. You Speaking never of know. quarterbacks, though, Justin, uh, I, w- I just want you to read off this beautiful list you have compiled for our number nine, who should get a statue one day. Absolutely. I think he, well, for sure should be in Ring of Honor. Um, you know, albeit grades just have to be there, which I think they are, regardless. Statue, easily, easily put it somewhere. I don't care where it is. Just put it put it there. We need a lot of statues. We need more statues than we have, for sure. We need more statues than the Big O and the Bearcat because, oh, well, and there's the uh, short vine. Bearcat, which is just the naked Bearcat, which naked I bearcat. still laugh about to this day. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> anyways, um, specifically speaking to our beloved number nine, Desmond Ritter, I think that he will easily go down as the most important player in all of Cincinnati football until somebody else can outdo everything that I'm about to list. He broke numerous records, won nearly every game he started in, and most importantly, helped lead the program to heights that we've never before seen and really alter the college football landscape, not just as himself, but you know, as his team as a whole. Um, specifically speaking to his stats, after the end of his career now, he had the highest passer rating for any QB above 600 attempts, which he's over, I think, 1,200, 1,300 attempts, which puts him only in the same realm with Geno, um, which, again, still crazy. Um, he leads the program in touchdowns with 87, which that's a number that's going to be incredibly hard to beat unless you're a four-year running back or a four-year QB. Um, so good luck to anybody else who wants to try to tackle that. Um, custom stat that I kind of put together here was that only 2% of Dez's attempted passes throughout his four years uh, or his all his games uh, were interceptions, which is pretty insanely low considering that he only had 28 over the course of his total 50 games started, which includes the Cotton Bowl. Um, he had over 12,419 12, yards of total offense, which is the most in program and conference history. He was the AAC player, Offensive Player of the Year in 2020 and 2021. He is number one all-time in rushing yards and touchdowns among Bearcat QBs and impressively ranks fifth among all rushers for touchdowns and 12th among all rushers for yards as a QB. As starting QB, QB1, he is 44-6, and six, which is just, again, a number that is going to be so incredibly hard to beat because that's not just like success over a season or two. Like that's success from every single game that you've played in. And forty-four and six, like think about like uh the those those games where we've lost those. I mean, one's against Georgia, who was a world beater last year, one's against Alabama, which is the dynasty team. That's two off your list already. I know one of them's against Memphis, and the other ones I'd have to look through and try to remember, but regardless. 44 wins is just nuts. Um, the, m- the more interesting stat, which I think is going to, especially in the Big 12 and for those years coming, is going to be even more difficult um, to top, is 26-0 in Nippert Stadium. 
as the starting QB. That number, I don't, I firmly believe will never be touched. I don't think anybody's going to get that. I really don't. I mean, I love the fact that Nippert is like the grandstand when it comes to trying to like, you know, for opponents to go in and try to win. But holy hell, 26 straight wins. Like that's, that will never be touched. I'm convinced. I am, I would put, I would go to Vegas right now and put money on that, that nobody will touch that for like 50 years. Desmond Ritter has just made it to the point where it's going to be weird when we lose a game at home. Like, yeah, because folks, I'll just tell you now, we're not going to be undefeated forever at home. Someone is going to beat us yeah. somehow, some way. It, it's going to be a fluke for sure. It's not going to be the Bearcats oh, of course. at all. <laughs> but just the fact that we haven't seen a loss since 2017, like, that's crazy. Yeah. And well, to, to wrap this up, speaking on these things is that beyond all of these stats, Desmond Ritter was at the helm of change in the program alongside Luke Fickle and, of course, all of his teammates to what the Cincinnati name has now become and what it will continue to be. He became the face of the program as it shifted from what was a down-and-out Tommy Tuberville kind of team, um, but a down-and-out 4-8 team to a perennial double-digit win team, beating a handful of ranked teams, going to multiple New Year's Six Bowls, going a perfect 13-0 and in his final regular season, and of course, the biggest thing to me, breaking the glass ceiling to make the CFP and to just shove it in the face of all of these bigger, badder, quote-unquote, conferences. This player is part of a rolling beast of a program, but as an individual, his presence is absolutely irreplaceable. And for that, Desmond Ritter, you will be very, very dearly missed. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. And the only thing that we can do is build him a statue. Build him a statue. I pref- I preferably be wanted it to be a pose from him at the uh, Tulsa game where he ran into the end zone and then did like the Mega Rapino where he like kisses his <laughs> yeah. lips and extends his arms. You know, yeah. I, I think that would be great. A one with uh, him and the AAC championship trophy would be great too. But Justin, you laid it all out there, and I really have nothing else to say other than like thanks to Zach Taylor for spotting this kid. <laughs> so, yeah, for real. Uh, in fact, actually, uh, there was a summer camp where uh, our my buddy uh, my buddy Joe was working on the video staff. We were all that was that was our thing during summer. It's like we film the high school camps at UC just to see like who might be a potential prospect for us, and like that's pretty standard across the country. But um, the, uh, Zach Taylor, who was the new OC during the 2016 season, uh, was at summer camps that year, obviously, and he called out to Adam and. Like was like, hey, uh, my boss Adam Niemeyer, the still the video coordinator at UC right now, uh, called out to Adam and was like, hey, I want film on this kid right here and like pointed to him, and so my buddy Joe was instructed to film Desmond Ritter and uh, the rest is history. So my buddy Joe likes to take a little bit of credit for getting Desmond Ritter here and uh, <laughs> becoming the prospect that he is now. So good luck to Des. Wherever you may go, you're always going to have a home here in Cincinnati. Even if you end up on like the Browns or the Steelers or something, like we're always going to love you here. Uh, it would be great to have a Cincinnati quarterback start in the league and uh, be better than Notre Dame or Ohio State quarterbacks. Did you know, Justin, that Notre Dame co- uh, produced quarterbacks in the NFL are currently on a 24-game losing streak? 
Wow. Is that crazy? <laughs> That's really funny. And then like the thing with Ohio, uh, with Ohio State quarterbacks too is that it always seems like they don't do anything in the league. Now, Justin Fields might be different, but I swear like it's been like, Troy Smith, Dwayne Haskins. Like, I I swear like there has not been one good Ohio State like Braxton Miller, Cardell Jones. Braxton Miller became a wide receiver. Yeah, exactly. Like, like he couldn't I, even make it as a QB. Yeah, like I feel like I, I'm obviously not an Ohio State guy, but I feel like none of their quarterbacks have ever panned out, other than maybe Justin Fields, and he might just have an incompetent team that that he got drafted to. So, yeah. <laughs> if if the Bearcats can get one quarterback in there to just make one start, that'd be great. That would be really great. And uh, honestly, like that conversation is interesting too. Maybe we can add that as a football tidbit, um, you know, maybe closer to draft time too. Um, Cause Dez's stock is obviously shifting. Um, and I think it dropped a little bit after the, um, the cotton bowl, which, you know, of course is going to happen if you don't win, no matter how you play, it's going to go down. Um, but the Steelers and what is really looking like the Browns too, are going to be looking for a QB, but especially the Steelers. Um, and as much as I would hate to see Dez in a Steelers uniform, to see him starting for a team, um, I think there's a possibility there. But I also think that they might just go local and take Kenny Pickett um, because Pitts, you know, that's their backyard. Um, he's played in Hines Field before. Um, I think they probably go with him. But I think there's also a few other places where Dez could start. And personally, I wouldn't want to see him start right off the bat. I'd like to see him get into a team maybe, um, you know, get behind a starting QB, maybe even go to something like Tampa, like Tampa Bay, and get in a place where he can at least develop and learn. Um, yeah. But at the same time, nothing speaks more, ex- you know, than experience and just being able to get out on the field and play. So, I mean, uh, he's a hell of a hell of a leader. He's got more than enough experience. He's a winner. And, like, I, like you're right. He's not, like, I wouldn't. I, I don't think it's a slight to say that he's not like Deshaun Watson or uh, Trevor Lawrence or like you know one of those can't miss like Joe Burrow, one of those can't miss QB yeah. prospects. I, I'm. I don't think that's a slight to say he's not that, but I, I mean, I think if he's given the right system and the right placing and like a, a time to develop and become like a real like pocket passer, he's got the legs to really be a, a dual threat, dynamic quarterback. So. I hope he gets a chance. I hope he gets an opportunity. I hope he gets to play for someone good. So, yeah, me too. I would love speaking, to see. It. Yes, I agree. Uh, well, Justin, this is an awkward transition, but we talked <laughs> about all of the good, all of the great things that is going on with the UC football program. But it feels like we have to talk about what happened with the basketball program. Unfortunately, the good. Um, the bad, the ugly. The ugly. So, Justin, I'm just going to tell you what I was doing on Saturday night while this game was happening. Uh, I was, uh, we had a little belated uh, family Christmas party. Uh, one of my family members got COVID, so it just uh, got pushed back a week. So, I was distracted on Saturday night, which was probably a good thing because I, I only knew about how badly the game was going when I looked down at the group me and I saw like, a lot of obscenities being dropped with the words Bearcats next to them. And I looked up the score. <laughs> it was like 33 to eight. I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> like what is going on here? So Justin, can you quickly fill me in on what the hell happened? 
Um, it's going to be hard to fill you in because I really don't know what happened. <laughs> um, <laughs> sort of a joke, but sort of uh, telling the truth there, too. Um, big, big, big oof. Um, this game was... a. I don't even know what I'd use to describe it, but it was not good. <laughs> um, we had 11 days since our last game um, up until we played Tulane because, of course, the Houston game was um, postponed. Um, if not indefinitely canceled, I'm not sure. I think it's still marked as a postponed. Um, we didn't get to play Houston, which threw off our rhythm. A, B, maybe it was a good thing that we didn't play Houston. I don't know. Based on what we saw with this game against Tulane, it was definitely a good thing that we didn't play Houston. But regardless, 11 days off, um, I don't know. I, I really don't know what the excuse is as to why we played the way we did. But Tulane... The, they're the story here because they played very well, at least in the first half. Um, they played picture-perfect help defense. Um, every single shot was contested. It felt like every guy, it didn't matter who it was on the floor, was getting doubled um, and effectively, and it didn't feel like we could get an open shot to save our lives. Um, so they smothered us in the first half, and on top of that, they also happened to be putting on what was probably the best three-point shooting performance I've ever seen in fifth third by a team, much less what from Tulane. Cause I mean, it's Tulane for goodness sakes, but they went nine for 12 from the arc in the ha in the first half, which is just <laughs> stupid as a team stat. Um, so they ended up leading us 48 to 25 at the half, um, which is just inexcusable. I mean, a, a team of this caliber um, and what we've had over the years and the talent that we have, it should not be over a 20-point game at the half where we're down unless we're playing a top 25 team. Tulane, I don't even know if they broke the top 150 in Ken Palm going into this game. I'd have to look back, but that was bad. Regardless, um, the Bearcats had a decent night rebounding, um, but it just was not converting on offense. We could not make a shot to save our lives. Um, and... I'm just going to say it because I say it all the time and I'm going to keep saying it until it's no longer a problem. As I've said many times before, people are probably sick of he me saying this fucking free throws, make them Lord have mercy. <laughs> it's so bad. 50% on the night, which, you know, 50% as a team, you can pass off here or there. But again, it showed at the end of the game if we made some more of these free throws, we would have been in it. We got the bonus, um, and actually even the double bonus pretty early in the second half. Um, and we kept getting back to the line and we were not converting. And every single time where it's like, okay, this lead, which was 20 some points before 23, 24 points has now been cut down to single digits. What's the difference between a nine point game and a tie game when it comes to 26 free throws on the night? And you only made 13 of them. Those 13 free throws that you missed. Because make four of those, make five of those. You're not talking a nine-point game. You're talking a four or a five-point game. And regardless, we just couldn't do it. And it's, it was very, very frustrating to watch. Um, <laughs> the game in general is very frustrating to watch. Because they got towards the end of it, and I had hope. I was like, all right, there's a good momentum shift. Um, 
Davenport hit a couple threes, and he actually he was carrying the team pretty hard too. I will say, um, he he started making the shots, especially in the second half. He started turning things around, um, and it looked good. And even um, DeJulius too was contributing too towards the end. Um, and it felt like we might start getting into a rhythm where we might take that momentum shift and run with it, and we just never did. And again, it'd get down to a point where we got at to the li- down to the line, we got fouled, and nothing would come of it. Or we'd make one, and then you know, or it was a one and one, and we'd miss the one uh, to get the second. Like it was just, like I said, tiring. Um, and also in the late in the game, this is my biggest sticking point for this game was that Tulane couldn't buy a bucket. Um, I'd have I think I wrote it down here. Yeah, Tulane only scored seven points in the final eight minutes. That's less than a point a minute. When you think about college basketball, like these minutes roll by fast, but when you got fouls, you got timeouts, whatever it might be, eight minutes is like 30 minutes real time. And that's a lot of time to figure out your game plan, figure something out. They scored seven points, seven. And we scored 15 in that stretch. And the issue is that we were down 15 going into that final eight. And I think that that is a point where like, if we weren't down so large, we could have made that comeback and it probably would have been fine. Um... But as I've seen kind of before in the season is that we're just not able to make those important shots when it matters. Um, And we can't play any kind of heat check offense. The heat check offense for me is a huge thing because um, we've never really had that, but I think we have the potential to, and we have the players that can. The issue is it's just like, well, you know, we, when we get on a run, I've said this before and I, I, I feel like I'm repeating myself this whole season when it comes to basketball, but, Whatever. It doesn't matter. We score points. We go on a run. We get enough back, and then we stop. Deer in the headlights. Like it, and, it, it, and then the other team goes on their run again. And the difference is in here, Tulane didn't go on a run again. They just couldn't st- score. But we couldn't capitalize. We couldn't capitalize at the line, at the three-point three line, anywhere in the paint. Like It just was not happening. Um, and I think they showed some resilience toward the end, but we were just down way too much at the half to actually be able to come back and win the game. And again, I, I, I think it's, I'm going to chalk it up and I'm going to pull an excuse and say it was the 11 days off, but dude, not pretty. Just amazing that they came back to make it like 68 to 60 after like being down by so much. And like just that run that they made was like pretty cool. Uh, Tulane at Fifth Third Arena is now always just going to scar me because I told my story a couple weeks ago about how I left the dance marathon uh, like in yep. 2015 to Tulane. go watch the second half and they made that buzzer beater so uh, that was annoying uh, Tulane uh, you know what Justin I want to be nice but I'm glad to be leaving a conference that has Tulane, Tulsa, Memphis and USF and like just the teams I feel like we've been playing for about 60 years <laughs> because I've been looking through some of the older archives of UC basketball and football just to see like what's in the past, you know, like uh, how many times we've played certain teams like Tulsa and uh, temple are in like the top 10 of teams we've played the most in our all time head to head matchups. And I'm just like, why? Like we couldn't have played any better teams in like our conferences. Like, have we always been stuck with these same collection of teams and yeah. so frustrating. So 
uh, just to wrap it up, like year one, year one, I'm preaching that year one, maybe even a year yeah. zero situation, like, even if that's a thing in basketball. I'd probably agree with you that it was the layoff, but still should be beating teams like Tulane, at, even though they had just beat Memphis this week. A Memphis team that was missing like three three starters and uh, only lost by two against Tulane. But uh, if this is the hottest week that Tulane's had the entire entire year, then so be it. I, I I thought I liked Ron Hunter, but if he's just gonna beat my team every year, then I'm not gonna <laughs> like him anymore. He's a he's an extremely likable guy, but I like it when you beat my team, guy. So figure that out. Uh, if you want the, me to like you, don't <laughs> don't beat the Bearcats. Simple. The the only other point that I have on Tulane specifically with this game um, is what their record was going into this game. They were four and six. And they came out of it now, obviously, five and six. But the teams that they've played so far, I, I want to list these off just so you have a understanding of what this feels like watching this game. I'm going to give uh, you a one-word answer to respond to each of these, so please continue. Um, oh, 70 to 67 win against Southeastern Louisiana. Crash. Um, a 73 to 70 loss to uh, Southern. It just says Southern. I don't even know what they are. Southern Jaguars. That's in uh, Baton Rouge. There you go. Okay. Um, A 59 to 54 loss to Florida State. Respectable. A 90 to 87 win against Drexler. Or Drexler. By Drexler? (laughs) Drexler. Um, a 68 to 67 loss to Toledo. Rockets. A 68 to 64 loss to Valparaiso. Gross. J- and, uh, Jamie Sarola. Oh, yeah. Uh, an 81 to 77 loss to Charleston. I, I can't hate on that one because I like uh, Pat Kelsey, the coach of uh, Charleston. So, uh, elder grad Pat Kelsey, shout out. Um, a 85 to 64 win against one in six Alcorn State. Thrash. Um, another game against Charleston, except in this one, they lost by more 86 to 72. White and Pat Kelsey's baby, elder, elder, elder. And then an 85 to 84 win against Memphis. Any. I think that's all you need to say about that is just penny yeah penny penny will do what penny does regardless looking at their whole schedule it's just like i'm trying not to like hyper analyze it but i am like it's it's amazing the most amazing part here is that they have one two three four five six seven seven Eight games out of their first 11, which were decided by two possessions, which is just nuts, which I will say, like, one way or the other shows that they're a bit of a resilient team and can stick with whoever they're playing. The problem is you're trying to stick with Toledo and Charleston and Southern and Southeastern Louisiana and Drexel. Like, if I listed those names, like, if I gave you a logo people probably could not tell me who that school is. <laughs> it's 
this this shit frustrates me. I mean, it's it's more that the fact that Tulane is just bad. And granted, Ron Hunter, you know, is going to Ron Hunter, but come on, we sh- that's at home too. We should have won that game. We should have won that game. There is no excuse at home against a four and six team opening game of conference play, and you're going to give it up to Tulane. Come on, man. Yep. Yeah, I think that's all you can say. <laughs> it's just it's just laughable. It really is. I don't know. I hope oh. that we get our crap together um, because it's not going to be an easy rest of the slate if that's how we're going to play. Um, because now we have in the next three, SMU, Memphis, and ECU, uh, which all come in uh, a one-week time frame. So... That's that's gonna be tough, and then followed by Wichita too. So, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it's we they gotta figure it out. They just gotta figure it out. That's all I have to say. Yep. Well, so uh, I'm hoping that we can still get to 20, but as we can get to like at least a winning record, uh, we need just need to pass the Brandon number of 11, I think, and then we'll be good. So yeah, yeah. Only one, uh, two more wins to go. Yeah. I I still don't. I mean, I know it's COVID year, but eleven. That's just a bonkers number to me. Yeah. Well, I, Justin, I think we've kept the people here long enough. Yeah. But I believe you have a closing thought. Um. Do, do I have a closing thought? I thought you said uh, you. There's something on the run sheet about bowl games. So. Oh. Well, that was something I was going to bring up. I thought, and <laughs> eh, we don't really need to talk about it because we've kept everybody long enough. But um, there were other bowl games, and they were fun to watch, and they're interesting. And also, um, Michigan lost by even more to Georgia, who is clearly not as good as Alabama. So we're better than Michigan, which means we went third place. So screw you. God, I would have loved to play them just to like have a chance to smoke them and officially claim pump it up. A claim pump it up, and B throw that in Ohio State's face because they lost to Michigan, but we'll never have oh, that. That would have been great. Um, regardless, even, apparently, so uh, huh? w- watch out. Uh, apparently Harbaugh has interest in going back to the NFL, so. Oh, boy. Uh, watch out for Luke Fickle again, like he would ever leave for, the, for, for, for Michigan. Wow. That would be I saw that a tweet would be today the day. From, I saw a tweet today from Mike Golick Jr. that was like, oh, Iowa State and Cincinnati fans, how are we feeling? And I was like, that's two Ohio State guys that coach those teams. Like, I think like, it's not Bo Schembechler anymore uh, coaching at Ohio State and then going to Michigan. Like, I, I think it, the relationship is too far gone for any yeah. Ohio State man to ever coach at Michigan again. Yeah, that's just... I don't think he could bring himself to do it. He's clearly grown up his entire life and his entire professional career has had to hate Michigan. Um, I don't see why he would just, all right, well, coaching job with a lot of money. I I think there's a certain degree above that, which clearly he's proven is um, uh, coaching jobs with more money is not the most important thing to him as he's already um, shown with us here at Cincinnati. So I think we're safe there. I don't think we have to worry about that. Um, anyways, Ooh, watch out. We've, Never know. <laughs> we've kept you guys long enough. Um, we're running like an hour and 17, but this has been a full review of our season as a whole. So there was a lot to cover. 
um, and a lot of news. Um, you guys can expect that there will probably be a very large drop-off of um, new information aside from basketball. So this is probably going to be all basketball until uh, NFL draft time, honestly. Um, and hopefully we'll have a lot to talk about because the Bearcats are going to be playing so well. But um, regardless... This has been Viva La Cats. Thank you guys for listening and sticking through. Um, and more specifically, thank you guys for uh, those of you who have listened throughout the entire season. Um, because we started off when I think the Bearcats were like 4-0, 5-0, um, and got to cover throughout the whole season. So um, it's been a fun ride. Um, but we're not done yet. We still got plenty to talk about. Um, and we're going to keep you guys all the way through the summer um, and back until football starts again. So... Don't forget who we are. You know exactly where to go because you need to go at Viva La Cats Pod on Twitter and Instagram if you feel like following us on there and make sure to follow us on Spotify or Apple Pods where you have a listen or wherever you listen. Um, and aside from that, thank you for listening. Take care, guys. Uh, go Bearcats. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. Uh, share it with a friend. Tell a friend about this great podcast. Me and Justin are looking forward to a big 2022, baby. Oh, yeah. Happy New Year, too. (laughs) Happy New Year. Sports Social Podcast Network.